Next case for argument this morning, 193373, Eugene Scalia versus Red Lake Nation Fisheries et al. Okay, Mr. Lerner. You need to turn your microphone, I think, Mr. Lerner. Do you hear me? Yes. Uh, may it please the court, I represent Eugene Scalia, Secretary of Labor in this case. On November 6, 2017, a commercial fishing vessel uh, owned and operated by Red Lake Nation Fisheries Incorporated, the fishery, capsized in Lower Red Lake in Minnesota, and two employees <clears throat> not wearing personal flotation devices drowned. <clears throat> OSHA cited the fishery for not requiring the use of personal flotation devices <clears throat> and for not uh, reporting the fatalities to OSHA in a timely manner. The fishery contested the citations, arguing that the Occupational Safety and Health Act, the OSHA Act, did not apply to it because it is an enterprise owned by the Red Lake Nation and Indian tribe. The question before the court is whether the OSHA Act enacted, quote, to assure so far as possible every working man and woman in the nation safe and healthy working conditions and to preserve our human resources, unquote protects employees of such an enterprise. The secretary contends that it does. The fishery is a commercial entity owned and operated by the Red Lake Nation and Indian tribe. There is no question that the fishery is literally an employer within the meaning of section 3.5 of the OSH Act 29 USC 652.5. The question therefore is whether the fishery is subject to the act under the precedence of the Supreme Court and the courts of appeals dealing with the applicability of general federal statutes to Indian tribes? The answer to that question is definitely yes. In Federal Power Commission versus Tuscarora Indian Nation, the Supreme Court observed that, quote, it is now well settled by many decisions of this court that a general statute, <clears throat> uh, that a general statute in terms applying to all persons includes Indians and their property interests, unquote. Courts have appealed uh, <clears throat> that have applied the OSH Act as well as other general federal laws to Indian tribes have followed this uh, rule. This but, court- But what about our uh, opinion in Fond du Lac where we do acknowledge that general <clears throat> rule from the Supreme Court and yet, and yet come out differently when it came to um, the sovereign rights of, of the of the tribe. Uh, yes, Your Honor. Uh, this court did acknowledge the general rule and dealt with uh, exceptions uh, to that rule. Um, uh, the the exception for for self government, uh, but um, the court um, specifically said um, dealt. Uh, with a case involving the Age Discrimination Employment Act, and and said that that would uh, that considering uh, not allowing the tribe to consider an employee's uh, an applicant's age would impermissibly impermissibly interfere uh, with the tribe's uh, sovereign rights, and the, the court said um, held the consideration of a tribe member's age by a tribal employer should be allowed to be restricted or not restricted by the tribe in accordance with its culture and traditions. Likewise, disputes 
regarding this issue should be allowed to be resolved internally within the tribe. Federal regulation of the tribal employer's consideration of age in determining whether to hire the member of the tribe to work at the business located on the reservation interferes with an intramural matter that has traditionally been left to the tribe's self-government, unquote. And then the court further emphasized that the ADEA does not apply to the narrow facts of this case. So it and, yet, and yet it was still, oh, yes, and, yeah, and just Kelly, to follow ahead. up, there are a lot of similarities, however, in the sense that this is undisputably a, a business that is, well, actually here, as if I understand the facts correctly, all the employees are tribal members, and I don't think that that was the case um, in Fond du Lac. But I think it's also undisputed that the biz, the fisheries themselves are run for the benefit of the tribe itself. So I, I'm, I'm, I, the only difference I see here that you've highlighted thus far anyway is, is age, is the two acts. Um, the, and I'm wondering why, the, why or how we can put so much weight on that distinction when we have so many other similarities here, it seems, that is, as we do in Fond du Lac. Uh, <clears throat> the reason why is that the, the court, the court does not merely mention age in the discussion of the procedural history of the case. The court's uh, discussion of the consideration of age is embedded within the court's reasoning. And then the court goes on to say, this, we're confining this to the narrow facts of an, of an age discrimination case. I mean, the court's, the court's uh, focus on age actually makes sense. Um, <clears throat> the way uh, society treats its elderly um, is tradition bound. For example, American Indians regard uh, elderly people as wisdom keepers. In the Jewish tradition, an elderly person is exempt from the commandment to help a uh, neighbor. And, 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 and for presidential candidates, we won't go there. Let's, uh, let, okay. let me highlight to you, though, uh, I think that Red Lake's case is stronger even than Fond du Lac because they have an argument about an explicit treaty fishing rights. And we said in Fond du Lac we had to rely on a general rule to self-govern on intramural affairs, whatever that means. Uh, and so what do you, how do you address the treaty issue here that gives them more punch than Fond du Lac? Um, they, yes, they argue that there's a treaty fishing right, but, um, and they argue that it, uh, we're modifying it. That is absolutely not so. In no way does OSHA regulation dictate how much fish may be caught, um, uh, what type of fish may be caught, when fish may be caught, uh, or how fish may be caught. Uh, the only thing OSHA is requiring is that employees riding on a boat wear personal flotation devices. It would make no difference to OSHA whether uh, employees were fishing or were working for a tribal sightseeing business taking people out on boat rides. The so, so, if, so, if, so if the tribe said, I'm making this up, I hope I don't offend anybody, I shouldn't say this, but I'm gonna say it. If, 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 if a tribe said it offends our religious beliefs to wear that thing when we fish, what do you think about that? I shouldn't uh, say Well, if they, if they specifically say religious beliefs, then uh, we would be dealing with the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Okay. 
which has as specific criteria. I shouldn't they would have introduced have, that. So I shouldn't have introduced that red herring. But suppose but, they say it's the traditional way we've always done it. Uh, we, that is we didn't have flotation. We didn't have flotation uh, okay. devices in the 19th century, for example. Uh, okay, so the, you say that's part of their tradition, right? Um, we we would we would still say that that we win because the the the, the fishing right. Uh, the, the right to fish is the right to actually catch the fish. The fact that there is some tradition uh, of the tribe shouldn't bar, um, uh, you know, the application of the object. For example, it is a core Indian tradition to live on a reservation, to occupy a reservation. Uh, the mere fact that that is part of Indian tradition does not mean that any person, any Indian living on that reservation, is completely free of federal law. Uh, the Indians, while occupying the reservation, are not allowed to sell cocaine or do counterfeiting or blow up a building, uh, which was the case actually in the Seventh Circuit. Um, so the, the mere fact that there's some kind of tradition out there uh, does not bar uh, the application of the object. Again, if it was a religious well, that one, tradition, and of course, I'm, I'm, you can tell how clumsy I've done this, but still, is that tradition go with the treaty, though? Because that's what the treaty was trying to say. You get a fish. You've always fished. These are your rights. Yeah. Again, of course, the tribe has pointed out to no, no uh, tradition of not wearing uh, uh, personal flotation okay. devices um, in, in its brief. Uh, Council, uh, yes. let me ask if I can. Uh, yes. Have you read uh, Judge Murphy's concurring opinion in Nord against Kelly? Yes. 2008 case where she she says she makes this statement. She says it's difficult to overstate the differences between the Red Lake Reservation and nearly all other Indian reservations. And then she goes in quite some detail talking about the the distinctions here with respect to this particular reservation. Do you think that strengthens uh, their position here, uh, uh, particularly in the absence of specific a specific indication by Congress that uh, these requirements should apply uh, this location. And no, Your Honor, I don't. I don't think. First of all, it was just a concurring uh, <clears throat> opinion. The, uh, the decision of the court itself actually said that the tribal court had no jurisdiction. It was against uh, Indian sovereignty in that case. Um, the, the are her facts right? I was very interested in that too. Are her facts basically right that this is different? That are, are the facts that Judge Kelly's reciting saying that? Uh, Red Lake is very different than all the others. Uh, are her facts basically right or wrong, or do you know? Um, the only thing I do know is that the, the, the tribe doesn't come under um, uh, Minnesota criminal law uh, like uh, other tribes in, in Minnesota. But I, I think that's neither here nor there. Um, and indeed, there was a case involving the Red Lake tribe uh, under the Federal Records Act, which is a general federal law, and the, uh, the Eighth Circuit ruled that the tribe was subject 
to the Federal Records Act. It didn't cite Tuscarora, but it did hold the tribe um, uh, to the Federal Records Act requiring it to release uh, a certain records. So uh, there is nothing that special about this tribe as opposed to other tribes like Coeur d'Alene and Mashantucket Sand and Gravel and Warm Springs and Menominee Tribal Enterprises, all these other tribes that in, in the, the other circuits uh, have been held uh, <clears throat> liable under the OSHA. Uh, so, I bet you're uh, into rebuttal. I bet you're into rebuttal again. I can't t quite tell from the lights. Oh, am I? You're two forty-nine. Okay, so uh, I'll, I'll I'll stop now and reserve the time for rebuttal. Thank you. Okay, Mr. Plummer. Thank you, Your Honors. Good morning. My name is Joe Plummer. I'm here on behalf of Red Lake Nation Fisheries. Your Honor, uh, as the court indicated, the Red Lake Nation is far different than any other reservation. It's the only reservation in the country that did not allot its lands. All of the lands are all in common. One large block of uh, trust lands. Um, well, something that's very significant in this case is that this court's precedent, the framework that was established through the Fond du Lac heavy equipment case, is exactly the framework that the ALJ followed. The ALJ said, hey, if there's gonna be an appeal of this case, it's probably gonna to go to the Eighth Circuit. So I'm gonna apply the right framework that's developed in the Eighth Circuit. And he did. And uh, because of the uh, impermissible infringement on the tribe's right of self-governance and the impermissible infringement on the tribe's um, inherent right to exclude non-members, the um, uh, dismissal of the citations was ordered. And uh, we would ask this panel to affirm that. Something that's very important in this case uh, that the government is not uh, highlighting is the specific nature of the OSHA Act itself. The William Steiger Act in 1970, the OSHA Act, was enacted and the, the, the specific constitutional authority is cited in the statute. This is very different from other federal laws of general applicability. Uh, the uh, statute says that it's enacting the OSHA Act uh, under the authority of the Foreign Commerce Clause and the Interstate Commerce Clause, and it's completely silent as to the Indian Commerce Clause. And as the court is aware, the Constitutional, constitutional uh, Commerce Clause provision says that Congress shall have the authority to regulate commerce with the foreign nations with, between the several states and with the Indian tribes. And rules of construction uh, provide that if Congress leaves off one or more of a list that's usually read together, that's uh, meant to, uh, to mean that Congress intended to omit that. In this case, we submit that Congress's specific reference to the Interstate Commerce Clause and the Foreign Commerce Clause and their failure to add Indian commerce specifically intended that Indian commerce not be regulated through the OSHA Act. Further evidence of that, Your Honors, is the complete absence in the whole text of the statute to the word Indian tribe or Indian entity, as well as the complete absence of any reference to Indian commerce in the 1300 odd pages of legislative history uh, for the OSHA Act. So we submit that that's a pretty strong signal that Congress never intended to regulate Indian commerce. And we submit 
that this activity, this treaty protected uh, fishing activity, which was affirmed by this court in 2015 in the in the Mike Brown case, the square is what we refer to it as, uh, affirmed the right, the exclusive on reservation right to catch and sell fish. And it's our position that OSHA's interference with that exclusive treaty right to engage in Indian commerce, quintessential Indian commerce and not inter interstate commerce is violative of uh, the, what the court has told us about not infringing on. Mr. Plummer, address his argument that uh, I misled, uh, or we took a while to get to it, but address his real argument, which is uh, we're not affecting your fishing. Uh, fish all you want to, as much as you want to, if as many as you want to, whenever you want to. We just want you to wear a life jacket. Well, two things, Your Honor. One, the fishery has a robust safety protocol for its fishermen. And we're, of course, very sorry that a couple of our tribal members, you know, died as a result of this incident. And uh, we can't, you know, be responsible, you know, for we provide all the equipment, go through all the robust training. And if something like this happens, you know, we're, we're not out on the boat with them. They have radios. Um, it's a very unfortunate situation. But uh, also in response to your question, Connor, the the interference is with the tribe to regulate its own internal Indian commerce with its own members. This uh, fishing activity is not just a commercial enterprise. This is a cultural enterprise that's been going on for hundreds of years. And well, it's cultural and commercial, right, Council? You, you, you'd agree to that, for sure. Yeah, yeah. and it's Indian commerce, Your Honor, and, and it's yeah. not interstate commerce. Uh, and we refer to it as quintessential Indian commerce. This is something that's been well recognized. And because of the nature of the treaty rights that are at issue in the case, this court has been very consistent. You know, um, uh, the Jackie White case of 1974, the alleged violation of the Bald and Golden Eagle Protection Act. You know, this court, you know, decided that that activity was a protected treaty right, an inherent treaty right of the tribe and its individual members to hunt unregulated um, by, by federal statutes. At issue in the in the Brown case from 2015, you know, was uh, a, a similar right, an alleged violation of a bunch of fishermen from Leech Lake and Red Lake who uh, were accused of violating the Lacey Act, another federal law of general applicability. And the Lacey Act, um, uh, the Judge Tunheim, Judge Tunheim had the case at the at the trial court level, and he did his own um, treaty uh, uh, investigation and historical research himself, and came up, you know, with an argument that we've been raising for years, and that is uh, that the 1837 treaty, which was the first one that affected the Minnesota territory, guaranteed the right to fish and gather off the reservation. The chiefs at the time, and Judge Tunheim indicated this in his record in the, in the Square Hook case, is that the fishing and using the resources off the land, making the sugar from the trees and using the rivers and the lakes is more essential or at least essential as the air that the Indians breathe. And Chief Flatmouth from Leech Lake articulated that, and Judge Tunheim thought that was very significant. Let me, let me interrupt you because you said a magic word when you said preserve. Yes. And, and I remember the, the uh, other side's brief where they said this idea that you look at 
that, that uh, Congress is only talking uh, here about the Interstate Foreign Commerce Clause and not about Indian commerce. You didn't begin to raise that at any lower level. That is a made-for-appeal uh, point. What do you say to that? Well, Your Honor, as we, uh, in our server reply brief, uh, we point out that the, that the decision uh, relied on by the government only applies to the petitioners. The petitioners in this case are the government, not us. We're not bound by that. And also- Well, now, be, be, be careful because that, that can be a basis to remand, for example. Yeah, I understand, Your Honor. Okay, so so address, address the real point. Why okay. wasn't it raised before at any time? Well, it, it, it was. This is just an amplified version of it, Your Honor. This is an amplified version. You know, the Commerce Clause is three parts, and we raised this, you know, as in response to what the what the government raised in their opening brief. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Counsel, um, you mentioned a moment ago that uh, you were talking about or you alluded to the um, uh, safety practices of the fishing uh, component or the fishing industry of the tribe there. Um, it, does the record contain information with respect to that? It doesn't, Your Honor. You know, we looked at it and it does not include. If the court would like me to supplement with the procedures that the fishery follows, I can do that. Well, I'll, I'll leave that to your discretion at, as to whether you think you can do it at this point. But I was just curious if, uh, you know, it, it could be significant if, uh, if this... Uh, if these drownings, for example, was were, were the result of perhaps violations of the of uh, the fisheries' own practices and, and regulations, uh, I think maybe there's a danger that this could be portrayed as uh, as just maybe an unsafe, a perpetually unsafe industry there uh, on the on the reservation and so i was just curious as to what you would have to say about that and what the record uh, can tell us well your honor uh, the record does not include uh, the safety procedures that i referenced and there's not a separate criminal statute you know that or uh, otherwise regulatory statute through the tribal code that would permit um penalties you know to, uh, for the fishery as a result of of uh some shortcomings in some of the uh, my other question um it was mentioned earlier in the argument i think i saw it in the briefing that um the employees the workers in the fishery are tribal members that's right your honor now well, is that is that just the way it uh it worked out or is there are there some restrictions for uh that uh that limit participation in the fishery uh, industry there to tribal members? Yes, there is, Your Honor. There's also a fishery association, which is more of an advisory board, but it's an advisory board of old fishermen, you know, of people that have been working, you know, in that industry their whole lives. And so they meet monthly and they all, they're like, they advise the younger people, you know, that are engaged in, in this activity. <clears throat> um, so, uh, and, and then finally, am I correct in my understanding that uh, because of the the differences between the Red Lake um, tribe and its own and its ownership of its property and uh, industries, the differences between that and perhaps other 
reservations, it was it was noted that there is not private ownership, yeah. for example. Does that hold true with respect to the fishery? <laughs> it does, Your Honor. I'm sorry I didn't answer that part of your question. Um, all of the members, you know, everybody that works at the fishery, there's very few non-Indian residents of the reservation. They're mostly spouses, you know, of, of, uh, of Red Lake members. But uh, that advisory board that I was talking about provides for the employment of only Red Lakers in the, in the fishery activities. There's no non-members that work uh, in this whole industry. It, all the way down, you know, from providing the equipment to going out, you know, on doing the fishing to cleaning the nets to making the nets, putting the mag or putting the uh, the weights on one end and the floaters on the other end. It, it lots of people are involved uh, in in this industry. Um, young people, you know, take care uh, do the non going out on the on the boats uh, activities, cleaning the nets. These are 300 foot nets, so you you have kids. You know, in summertime, that their jobs are to clean the nets, take the walleyes out of the nets, and hang the nets, and make sure they're not all tangled up. So once they yeah, drive, council, council, uh, of course, our, our uh, Fond du Lac case is '93. Congress has done nothing on uh, that under the EOC, right? Correct. Oh, good. Uh, can Congress ch uh, change OSHA and its definition of employer to include a tribe? Yes, it can, Your Honor. Uh, okay. Congress has the plenary authority to do to legislate in the areas of Indian affairs, and they've chosen not to do so. Yes, thank you. That was my point. Okay, uh, um, Counsel, the the ALJ relied very heavily on Fond du Lac, our case, and and as I read, it sort of maybe didn't expressly say it, but suggested that maybe if this were some in another circuit, yeah. the answer might be different. And maybe this is too broad of a question, but I wondered if you had a reaction to that. Do you think that this case is different because it's in the Eighth Circuit and we have Fond du Lac and it, and it would be treated differently in maybe the Ninth or one of the other circuits? Yes, yes, I agree with that, Your Honor. We believe that this court's precedent in Fond du Lac in the Eighth Circuit and the Tenth Circuit's precedent in uh, um, Donovan versus um, Navajo Forest products are the correct decisions that are the most respectful of the circuits of tribal sovereignty. The other ones that have bought into this Coeur d'Alene framework in the Ninth Circuit um, did it out of, this is our position that they they adopted this framework of Coeur d'Alene out of convenience because they're not as familiar as the Eighth and the Tenth Circuits are with Indian country. And we believe that it, it's uh, improper, not respectful of tribal sovereignty and uh, would not be a good road for this uh, court to go down. We firmly believe that that was the correct decision, and we believe our facts are even stronger than the Fond du Lac facts. A uh, search never been granted and even taken away later or anything like that or responses, do you know, on any of these cases? Because this goes back to, goodness gracious, 85-ish uh, right. with, a, with a conflict. Or 82, yeah. Donovan's 82, so 85, 82, 85. Right. Mm -hmm. Donovan was Have they ever granted cert on any of these? Not you know, that we're aware of, Your Honor. Uh, we I mean, believe not to, you, you get my point of my question, not to go to decision, but grant it and take it back and something in response. And, yeah. yeah but not, not to your knowledge. Thank you. Oh, no, and we believe, Your Honor, I, I'm just speaking frankly, that, uh, that uh, there may be something uh, coming out of this case. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I, yeah. 
you know, thank you. And we just request that, that you just affirm the ALJs. Thank, thank you. you very much. Concludes your argument. Uh, Mr. Lerner, we're back to you. Uh, yes. Um, on the Indian Commerce Clause uh, argument, um, as Your Honor has rightly pointed out, it was not raised below. Uh, it's not. It's a separate argument. It's based upon a constitutional provision. It was not cited in the briefs to the commission, and it's an exception <laughs> of, uh, of <clears throat> the fisheries brief to this court. But even if the court does consider that issue, uh, no courts have ruled that a general federal statute has to mention the Indian Commerce Clause in order for uh, for the law to apply to Indians. For example, the D.C. Circuit in Navajo Tribe versus NLRB applied the National Labor Relations Act, which doesn't mention the Indian Commerce Clause, to, uh, to <clears throat> uh, on the, uh, they applied it on the reservation. Um, there wasn't a need for that. Uh, the Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission in Turning Stone Casino Resort uh, uh, said the same thing about the object. <laughs> the mere fact that it's, it's not mentioned um, does not mean that it can, can't apply. Uh, because basically to say that would basically turn uh, the Tuscarora rule, the general rule, the general statute supply uh, on its head. Um, the, the Indian Commerce Clause is there, but it's, it, it's, it's a special kind of provision that gives Congress plenary power over Indians more so than in the uh, situations involving um, regular regular commerce. So, for example, under the Indian Commerce Clause in Title 25, uh, Congress regulates uh, a child custody and education and deeds and all kinds of things which it would never do with <clears throat> respect to situations like that in, in, in you know, uh, just regular uh, legislation. Uh, it's, it's almost like a plenary power like Congress has over territories or over the District of Columbia. Um, so the, if, if uh, the court does that, uh, this, for example, the statutes that it, uh, the court applied to uh, Indians, the criminal stat uh, cases, uh, Wadena, Stone, and the tax case hold those those statutes don't mention the Indian Commerce Clause, and yet the court applied the law in, in that situation. Mr. Lerner, uh, uh, yes. you've, you've you've used your time. Oh, okay. Thank you for your argument. Thank you.